This is the Joe and Amber podcast. It's Wednesday. Andrew Luck is trending on Twitter. So that shows you how well everything's going in Indianapolis these days. Welcome to the show. Joe and Amber were presented by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson out today. Good friend of mine, Courtney Cronin, joining the show. I have worked with you in mornings, afternoons, evenings, nights, weekends, and New Year's Eve. I was going through it. I have worked every single possible shift with you. How the hell are you? I am great. God, that New Year's Eve, I believe 2021, that was the CFP. Wasn't that yes. Ohio State and the quarterback that I now covered, Justin Fields? In yes. The I mean, yeah, rather 2020. Wild times. You just brought me back years. Great memory. We. We had a guest on that night who may or may not have had quite a few drinks and then came oh, on to I join us that. and break the game a down. A very proud Ohio State <laughs> alum who came down fan- to break that game down with us. It was a fantastic interview. Uh, before we get into the mystery team, which was kind of surprising to find out about, that was involved in the Jonathan Taylor sweepstakes, how is it you can do this show? You cover the Bears for a living. It's training camp. We just went through cutdown day. The, the week... The season starts next week. How do you have the time? Do you ever sleep? I mean, yes and no. I think that everybody who's in this sort of line of work <laughs> deals with the same sort of uh, insomnia and being sleep-deprived constantly. But it's a weird week because you're in that strange in-between time. Training camp's been over now for two weeks, but it's roster cut down. And then the initial 53 doesn't look like what the 53 is right now. So there are a lot of moving parts. I'm a moving part within that, too. I mean, you just got to drive really fast and within the speed limit, of course. But <laughs> Yeah, of course. Uh, make sure that you get connected and make sure you're up to speed on everything because it's not just my team that you know I'm worried about. There's a lot of things going on in the NFL, and sounds like at least the Bears are in a better situation than what's going on in Indianapolis right now. I love it. When you first got on the Bears beat, it was like, oh, this is going to be tough. I know that you're a Chicago girl, like the near and dear to your heart being in that location – but at the time, it was like, oh, man, this is going to be rough. Now you're going to cover one of the more fun teams in the NFL. Now I want to stay in that region because the first story we're going to talk about tonight is what's going on with Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts. The trade deadline, self-imposed by the Colts, came and went yesterday. All pro running back didn't get traded. Miami was obviously and reportedly interested in trying to get a deal done, but apparently the sides were never close. We find out today that the mystery team that was in the mix – The Green Bay Packers, proud franchise that calls running backs Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon their own. Two running backs that combined to rush for 1,891 yards and nine touchdowns last year. They combined to catch 87 passes for 601 yards and another five touchdowns. They were apparently at least inquiring as to the services of Jonathan Taylor. So you cover the NFC North. You've been slotting these teams, trying to figure out how it's going to shake down this year. Does that surprise you that the Packers are interested? It doesn't. It doesn't. The reason it doesn't, I'll start there, is because you go back to earlier this offseason when Aaron Jones, their star running back, takes a pay cut to go from $16 million to $11 million on his salary in 2023. And then on top of that, A.J. Dillon's 25 years old. So that's not old in the sense of of the sense of overall NFL players, but trending in that direction of being older as a running back. So would it be an upgrade over both of them? Maybe. It's a crowded running back room, though. So I couldn't wrap my head around Stephen Holder's report when he put that out there, that they were the mystery team 
other than the fact that they have an idea that this is a new day, a new regime, even though it's at the same decision makers, but new team because there's no longer number 12 in Green Bay. It's Jordan Love, and they feel that maybe this could be a situation where they get to really start over on offense. But other than that, it doesn't make any sense because of what the trade compensation was going to be, at least what has been rumored, that Indy wanted a first-round pick or the equivalent, which, of course, we hear from Miami, Jalen Waddell in that mix. No surprise they didn't want to give up him. But when you think about what Green Bay has, very likely the extra first-round pick next year, because it's that conditional second that they got for trading Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets, Do you think they want to give that up for a running back when certainly the jury is still out on Jordan Love? You might need that extra first-round pick to go get a quarterback next year. I'm dealing with this currently in Chicago, given there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of expectation around Justin Fields, but if the team's not sold on him, they have two first-round picks to go get a quarterback next year. Green Bay, very likely in a similar situation. So I'm not surprised that this thing did not come through, but you can look at the pieces of how this team is constructed and realizing where some of their running backs are in their career versus where Jonathan Taylor is to make it make sense somehow. But again, Joe, I'm just as confused as most people are that Green Bay of all teams got in. Courtney Cronin, Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Would you figure that any sort of deal Green Bay would have been looking to make to acquire Jonathan Taylor probably involves sending back one of those running backs? Aaron Jones has a cap hit this year of about $8.1 million. Now, the Colts clearly didn't want to spend long-term on Jonathan Taylor, but if you bring in Aaron Jones in the trade, You end up getting a running back who can help you and can help Anthony Richardson this year. You're not necessarily tied to him long-term financially like you would have been with Jonathan Taylor. You get someone who's presumably happier than Jonathan Taylor was, and maybe you can move on with another pick thrown in there as well. From the Packer perspective, what gets me is if you were at camp and you didn't like what you saw in Jordan Love, if you thought, you know what? Kind of like the 49ers. This guy's just not going to be able to cut it like they were with Trey Lance. Maybe we play this year out and then we reboot. You wouldn't be thinking about making a move like this. Like my thought process is you'd only be interested in going after someone like this if you felt you had the quarterback situation solved and not solved from a, this guy's going to be the guy for the next 10 years, but solved from a, we feel very confident in Jordan Love heading into this season. And they very well may, but let's see what it yields when he gets onto the field. We've seen him in a handful of games. He has one career start under his belt. Like what they've seen behind the scenes is great. And to support your quarterback now going into you know, his fourth season, his first as a starter, but he's been there for four, for four years now. He knows the offense. It makes sense from that perspective. But again, the price of that is just not something that I think you're willing to hedge. The NFC North is wide open. As we know, Green Bay may not fall off nearly as much as people think. I don't think they're going to. I think that they've got all those first rounders still on defense, that that can be a team that very well has no drop-off, or maybe very little drop-off. I still think Minnesota is going to be better than people think. But they would have made that move, or at least they had the conversation with Indianapolis because they certainly feel that Jordan Love, at this point, and looking at their running back room as constructed, there's some wiggle room in both areas where you want to support your quarterback, but it doesn't necessarily need to be with the running backs that you have on the roster. But... 
I just don't ever believe that they would have given up the trade compensation. Aaron Jones is not enough. They would have wanted a first-round pick. They would have wanted more than what was on the table, and that was never going to be I don't think the I think I don't think the Colts actually felt they were going to get that. I know they've been posturing this entire time. I don't think they thought they were going to get any sort of realistic offer that was going to meet their insane demands. But do you know what happens, Joe, when you pay you when you trade a player and you've got a first round pick back in return? Eventually, you have to pay that first round yeah. pick, and that's yeah. something that clearly at some positions they don't want to do. That's very well said. And I agree with you. I, I think this was all just a big song and dance. Big dog and pony show at Indianapolis. All right, we're going to grant you the opportunity to go seek a trade. And then everyone goes nuts. It's like, look, just because they gave them the opportunity to go seek a trade doesn't mean they're actually going to accept any offers that they get. They're probably going to try to put Taylor in his place. They're going to put out this huge request. No one's going to meet it. Then they're going to go back to him and go, see, the position's been devalued. You don't want to play, don't play, but you're not getting paid. She's Courtney Cronin. I'm Joe Fortenball. Greeny, if you were up early this morning watching Get Up, had quite the Dallas Cowboys quarterback take on the morning show. You're going to hear it, and you're going to get our reactions next. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber, the podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the show. Alongside Courtney Cronin, my name is Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. It is greatly appreciated. Courtney Greeny's in midseason form. Old Greeny, midseason form. He's ready to go. We are eight days away from the start of the 2023 NFL campaign. Chiefs hosting the Lions in game number one tomorrow night. Utah and Florida scheduled to go to battle in college football. Everything is coming up roses. Greeny this morning on Get Up. He had takes. He had takes about the Cowboys. He had takes about the Cowboys quarterback position. Take a listen. The Jets have a young quarterback they drafted very high who has shown himself to be nowhere near ready to play. 
And they think they have a championship caliber roster. So what do they do? They go out and they get themselves an aging veteran who might be able to give them one or two years and a shot at a Super Bowl and maybe mentor the young kid towards being able to play. Mm-hmm. So what is Jerry Jones perhaps thinking? How about thinking about a Super Bowl winning veteran quarterback who might want to finish his career in his hometown of Dallas, Texas, and mentor a young player in a year or two to being ready to take over the reins. That young player could be Trey Lance. I could easily see a world in which a year from today, Dak Prescott is way better off being the quarterback of Tampa or Minnesota or Denver or someplace where they really want him. And Matthew Stafford is the starting quarterback of his hometown Dallas Cowboys. Thank you very much, Mike Greenberg. We can dry that one out for the next hour and 45 minutes if we really want to slice it. So, all right, Courtney, you got first crack at this. Greeny getting very interesting here, talking about the future of Dak. Maybe that's done after this season. He's elsewhere. Matthew Stafford, maybe after this year in L.A., if the Rams look to reboot, he's gone. He's from Texas, went to the same high school as Clayton Kershaw, which is a famous story that everyone's already heard about. He comes in, mentors Trey Lance for what would be year two of Trey Lance in Dallas, and maybe that's how the Cowboys move forward. Do you see any problems with the way in which this has been laid out? A lot, and I'm (laughs) going to start with the one thing that Greeny mentioned that I don't see happening, and that's Matthew Stafford coming in, mentoring the young quarterback, and then moving on into the sunset of his career and then retiring. His wife, Kelly, revealed on her podcast the other day – This is what she said, that he's having issues connecting to younger players in the locker room. That she feels like he can't connect, and that's something that he has relayed to her. So all of a sudden, you want to trade Dak Prescott. Let's not forget, after this season, he has one more year in his contract. He goes through the 2024 season, so they'd have to move on from this player, bring somebody else in, and then have this player come in and... Not having a great track record, according to this podcast that you know the person who knows him best, his wife is on, saying that he can't connect with younger players. So you think that that's going to work out? I just Matthew <laughs> Stafford is thirty, going to be thirty-five years old this season. He's coming off the elbow injury. To think that that's the solution that ends up taking Dallas to the next level is far-fetched. I think that Dak Prescott gets a lot of flack, some deserved, some not. The fact that he keeps catching strays within all of this stuff about Trey Lance coming there. Trey Lance is not a threat to Dak Prescott. Trey Lance was a garage sale quarterback buy for Jerry Jones, somebody who wanted a quarterback during the draft. It didn't pan out with the way the draft order fell. So he went and he gave up a fourth-round pick for next year for a quarterback that may or may not pan out. I don't see this as having any sort of effect on the starting quarterback situation in Dallas, and I most certainly do not see Matthew Stafford being the overall solution to getting Dallas a Super Bowl. Clip that off and send it to Greeny. Let him know exactly what Courtney Cronin thinks of the take. There's, there's, it, there's a few issues here in terms of – I find it fascinating what he's kicking around. There's a few issues here in terms of finances that I, that I can't wrap my head around. Stafford, after winning the Super Bowl, got that new four-year, $160 million contract. Like this year, his cap hit is $20 million. Next year, it's $49.5. The year after, it's $50.5 million. Dead cap charge this year – $106 million. So I don't know necessarily how the Rams are going to find a way to move on from him. I'm not sure how the Cowboys would move on from Dak, although that's a little bit 
more palatable. He also has a four-year, $160 million contract. To me, the Stafford front feels like this. He's going to come back this year to play for the Rams. The Rams are not going to have a good season. The Rams are going to start slow and eventually might go into the tank for a quarterback like Caleb Williams out of USC or Drake May out of UNC. This is important to note because if they're going to reboot the franchise, they're going to want a young quarterback on a cost-controlled rookie deal to build around. And at the same time, Arizona is in their division and they might be looking to do the exact same thing. So are you going to pass on that opportunity this year? If you end up doing that, I also think Stafford could reach a point where he realizes, you know what? Enough's enough. I've had a great life in this NFL. Uh, I was able to answer all the critics, leaving Detroit, going to LA, winning the Super Bowl. What more is there? Yeah, you can hang around and make some more money and possibly compete, but I wouldn't be completely shocked if he retired after this year. I don't think he's going to spend a whole lot longer in the NFL, not because he can't hack it, but I think he's going to realize he's got the family, he's got the money, he's got the success. There's nothing left to prove. How much more does he want to get injured out there? He doesn't strike me as someone who wants to go the Aaron Rodgers chasing the right. you know chasing the white rabbit, chasing something that is unattainable. He's already won a Super Bowl. He's never been the Tom Brady guy. Oh, I have to play to a certain age. He's never talked about it that way. I would not be surprised if it's this year, next year, and then maybe he's done. He'll be 37, 38 at that point. And he's under contract with the Rams through 2026. Yes, there's ways to get out of that. And of course, when you trade a quarterback like that, you can command some draft capital in return. And that's what the Los Angeles Rams need. I just don't think it's going to be a, now, and B, to a place like the Dallas Cowboys, because by proxy, you'd be saying Dallas would go get Dak Prescott in exchange for Matthew Stafford, and that's supposed to, I mean, I just I just don't see it. I don't see it happening whatsoever, but this is something that Greeny and I, we had this exercise with Zach Martin a couple of weeks ago on Get Up when I was on with him, and we were throwing out the idea that, hey, the Jets need to improve their offensive line. Finances be damned. Let's make it just make sense <laughs> by getting a great player to a franchise that needs him. And Matthew Stafford still is a great player. I know some people have different tiers of quarterbacks and where they would have him. He is still a top 15 quarterback any way that you split it. I could understand why, if the Dallas Cowboys don't do well this season, they'd want to upgrade at quarterback. I don't think it's going to come in the form of a veteran who is at the tail end of his career. Who is more likely to be with their team, their current team, in 2024? Not this year, but next year. Stafford with the Rams or Prescott with the Cowboys? Stafford with the Rams. You think he's more likely to be there? How likely do you think it is that Prescott's back with the Cowboys? It's going to depend if they are another 12-win season this year and then they lose in the divisional round in such devastating fashion. I don't think he'll be there. But I don't think he's going to the Rams. Give me As another an Eagles game. fan, I can tell you it's going to be a 12-win season and it's going to be a gut-wrenching playoff loss for the Cowboys, as it is every year. That's just, for, that's just one repeat. Eagles fan's opinion as to how things will play out in Big D. What is going to happen with the college football playoff when we go to 12 teams next year? We're going to talk about that next. She's Courtney Cronin. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber, the podcast. All right, let's go to work. Joe and Amber, 
ESPN Radio alongside Courtney Cronin. I'm Joe Fortenball. We're going to the phones. ESPN senior writer Heather Dinich, kind enough to join us. She's been all over college football, realignment, and everything in between all summer long. Heather, we appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us. You're in Irving, Texas, where we had the big meeting today regarding college football's playoffs, which are going to change next year as we expand to a 12-team field, and what's going to happen in regards to realignment. Set the stage for us. What did you learn from today's meetings? Well, I learned that everybody in that room and ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips, who joined by Zoom because of travel issues in Charlotte, thinks that it's too premature right now to make any definitive moves in regards to what the format might look like in 2024 because everybody's still waiting to find out what the four remaining teams in the Pac-12 are going to do. Um, You know, it's interesting because there was – a lot of intrigue going into this meeting that it could be super awkward given that the Pac-12 was just gutted by realignment and this is the first time that Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov was in the same room with his peers including Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti and Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark who now combined between the two of them have eight Pac-12 teams joining their leagues next year but I was told it was cordial and, of course, there was some teasing in the room. Uh, Bill Hancock wouldn't get into any specifics there. But the bottom line is this. They're going to meet again in Chicago. And I think everybody in that room expects to know a lot more by the time they're in person again about the state of college athletics in terms of realignment and what the ACC might do. I can only imagine what kind of jokes were made at the expense of the Pac-12 commissioner watching his entire conference get gutted after his awful Apple TV deal went onto the table. But I guess we'll never know what was said behind closed doors unless somebody wants to uh, come out and say that. But so outside of the meet within what happened in the meeting, the model that was discussed, do we have any more indication about what they're pursuing? Will it be that 5-7 model that's been talked about within the 12-team playoff, or do we just not know yet which direction they're going? Well, the truth is we don't know which direction, but I get the sense from talking to people in the room that there is still a desire to reward conference champions. And the current model the way it stands now for next year would be the six highest ranked conference champions plus the next six highest ranked teams. Where it gets called into question is if the Pac-12 doesn't exist. Because if you maintain that model, six plus six, you're essentially giving two extra spots to the group of five conference champions, which of course they would love. So it's very possible that the five group of five commissioners in that room say, whoa, 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 we agreed on six and six. Let's just keep it that way. But it's also possible that there's pushback from within the room. Well, let's get a compromise and go to five plus seven, because then you still have the ACC, the Big 12, the SEC, and the Big 10 conference champions, plus another spot for a group of five conference champion. And then you have seven at largest. And Mid-American Conference Commissioner John Steinberger said that he got a good sense in the room that there was still a commitment to honoring conference champions. So I would expect that ultimately that's where they land one way or another. My gut just says it would be so easy to do five plus seven if indeed the Pac-12 dissolves as many expect it would. Heather Dinich, ESPN senior writing, writer, excuse me, joining us here, Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio. She's Courtney Cronin. I'm Joe Fortenball. 
So, okay, six and six, maybe we go five and seven. That makes some sense. Four or five years down the road, maybe it's only three years down the road if we get started on this. How long do you think before the SEC and the Big Ten start lobbying for two automatic bids rather than just the one they're going to be getting for the conference winner? Well, I think part of that is seeing how the next two years plays out in a 12-team format. I mean, guys, look, this could very well look very much like a Big Ten SEC Notre Dame and an insert your group of five team here playoff anyway. Um, So I guess the question is, how much after going through this process for two years do they need to do that? The interesting thing is that the next contract, they call it year 13 because we've got 11 and 12 yet left. So they always refer to it as year 13. The next contract is a blank slate. So these guys could essentially do whatever they want to do with the format uh, in terms of what it looks like and how the, the seeds are arranged or the buys or the home games or whatever it might look like. But that being said, they've got to start to figure this out because you don't just roll out of bed with a new contract. So they know they have a lot of work to do in terms of implementing it immediately for next year, the 12 team format. And then on top of that, getting a new deal set and a, and a format set up for the next contract. All right. So week one around the corner, the CFP talk will be something that percolates week after week going throughout this season. But as we get closer to kickoff with Thursday night setting the table, Utah and Florida, Utah state, Utah and Florida, let's take a look at the quarterbacks that have moved around in college football. Ohio state's got a new quarterback, Penn state, Bama, Georgia. I can't remember a landscape Heather that has looked like this in a very, very long time. What do you think this means for maybe creating more parity within college football this year where Georgia, as we know, is the favorite to three-peat, but the quarterback uncertainty, or rather the unknown, seem to at least position some teams to maybe make some noise that might not be in that national championship conversation just yet. Well, it could have a huge impact, and I think it could also be a great equalizer, as you're talking about. And the irony of this whole Pac-12 thing going on at the college football playoff meeting is that that should be a league filled with incredible quarterbacks and really good football teams. If you want to look at good quarterback play this year, look at the Pac-12. Bo Nix at Oregon, Caleb Williams trying to win the Heisman again, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. I mean, the list goes on in, in terms of guys who could be in that Heisman conversation at that position. But that's one of the things I'm most excited to see this weekend is the debuts of guys like Kyle McCord at Ohio State. Even though it's on the road at Indiana, what can they do? And I think we got a big answer from Notre Dame and quarterback Sam Hartman. And you know what? I talked to Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swerwick about that. Like, Granted, it was against Navy, and they rolled against those guys in Dublin. But the bigger picture there was Notre Dame has a new offensive coordinator in Jared Parker, and they promoted him from within, the tight end coach, and they loved what they saw, not only because of the play calling and the execution in Sam Hartman, but because they didn't have any pre-snap penalties. There was no dysfunction on the sideline because of the play calling or a new coordinator, and that was real big for Notre Dame. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up against better competition down the stretch. ESPN senior writer Heather Dinich joining us here, Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio. Heather, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, guys.
Bear is awesome. Not bear as in grizzly. Bear is in B-E-H-R. Let me tell you why. This Saturday, let the Home Depot help you get projects done right with Bear Premium Plus Interior Paint. You, why, this Saturday. Let the Home Depot help you get projects done right with Bear Premium Plus Interior Paint. Did I just read the same thing twice? I think that you're just reinforcing what people should go buy. That is the job of a radio host. You just really up the ante on bare premium plus interior paint. There, it was said a third time. We should get paid more for this. The job of the radio host is to completely bail me out right there, which is exactly what you did as I went through the quote and then just kept reading. But yeah, bare premium paint plus. Do not miss out on that. That was the message that Courtney Cronin and Joe Fortenball here, ESPN Radio, are trying to get across to you. I am very excited for the college football playoff expanding to 12 next year. I think it's only a matter of time before the SEC and the Big Ten are like, look, you got to give us two each, and then we also want the runner-up in each division getting in because you know they're going to be flexing their muscles on the power play. Did you get to watch any of Notre Dame? You're located in the Chicago area. I'd imagine a lot of the Golden Domers are there, and they're very excited. I was covering a preseason game, so I was only able to catch a glimpse of it and then got the highlights afterwards, but just absolutely washed Navy, which I guess is not surprising, but Navy has a new quarterback just like the Irish do, and some of those throws that Sam Hartman made, those are Sunday. Day throws. So I'm excited to see what Notre Dame can do with him at the helm this year. And you know what? Given what happened last year, how they started out 0-2 and the sky was falling and there's talk of Marcus Freeman on the hot seat, how quickly they were able to write that ship. I'm just glad for his sake that he doesn't have to deal with that to start out this season. Yeah, the key is don't open at Ohio State. How about that? When you're scheduling Four, five, ten years down the road, we everyone always says, well, you never know how good these teams are going to be. You know how good Alabama is going to be. You know Georgia is going to be good. You know Ohio State's going to be good. Don't open with them because you're most likely going to lose. Notre Dame looked great. Navy looked awful. I had Navy plus 20 and a half. It was an awful way to start the college football season, but we're moving on. We're going to have a bunch of picks, bunch of bets tomorrow on the show, getting you set for Thursday night. We got a bunch of games. Florida-Utah is the headliner. No Cam Rising at quarterback for Utah. They were a 10-point favorite at one point this summer. That has plummeted all the way down to 4, 4.5. Totals come down from 49.5 to about 44. So it's under money and it's Florida money in a game that should be a total grind. Which NFL team stocks will be up and which will be down this season. We're going to play a little game next. She's Courtney Cronin. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Interesting selection right there. Courtney Cronin, Joe Fortenball, Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Thank you for joining us this evening. We appreciate it. Going to play a little game here, NFL-related, called Ascending descending just a very clever way of letting you know the team in question that is named will that team be ascending this year or descending very clever in these parts seven to ascending. Nine PM is that how you say it i'm afraid if i don't say it ascending i'm going to be talking about the posterior portion of the body when how i about, pronounce it how about and then you, I'm really put, gonna... you spell it differently ascending uh, uh sending that's how uh, you sending. spell it out uh, sending. Uh, sending the masterpiece ending yeah i like that <laughs> make them say uh okay ascend 
Ascending and descending. How's that? No, work? no, it's ascending and descending. <laughs> you had it right. You had it half right. Now we have it all wrong. All right, James Steele, producer extraordinaire. He's going to come in and host this segment. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. And again, I love it when you call me uh, producer extraordinaire. Uh, okay, so we're You're just going. I'm just going to. Um, I'm going to rattle off some teams. You guys are going to tell me if they are ascending. Or duh sending, no? Uh, first Just up, call it uh or duh. Uh, That's the name duh. of the segment, uh, uh I think or we, duh. I think we landed on it, uh or duh. All right, the Buffalo Bills, they were 13-3 and three last year, first in the AFC East, no playoff wins. Joe, uh or duh? I'm going to say uh. I don't think anyone's going to agree with me on this. I'm going to say uh. Uh, uh. <laughs> 13-3 last year, the three losses came by a combined eight points. That's it. They were eight points away from being 16-0. and Of course, there was the Cincinnati game that got called off because of DeMar Hamlin and the cardiac incident on the field. Thankfully, DeMar Hamlin doing much better now. This was a team that was plus 169 in point differential. That was number two in the NFL. But when we're talking about ascending or descending, they got knocked out in the divisional round, which means if they make it to the conference championship game this year, they have ascended. So they might win 11 or 12 games fewer, but if they go further, we'd have to say they did better. And I think if it comes down to getting one or two or one of the two AFC championship spots, I'm not willing to mail it in on them just yet. A lot of risk with the Von Miller injury, a lot of risk with the Diggs, Josh Allen beef that may not be resolved, Courtney. Tentative here, but I'm going, uh, as in ascending. All of that risk that you talk about is the reason I'm going to say they're duh, as in descending, (laughs) because... This is a team that has come close. And I honestly, I don't want to say they missed their window, but the time that they got to the AFC Championship game to where they are right now, it feels like the steam has been let out of um, been let out of this bubble. Or yeah. what do you call it? A gas out of the balloon. And I just don't know if they can do much more than they've already done, given the state of everybody else in the division. Miami is not on this list, but they're in the upward trajectory. The New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, they are in the upward trajectory of teams ascending. Their division makes it so much tougher to just run away with it the way that they had ever since Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs linked up in 2020. And I do have health concerns. The Von Miller injury is more than just something that's like on the periphery. For me, that's a very real concern because you saw how that affected their pass rush when it happened last year. I think that they're descending, even if ever so slightly, because they could still win the division and descend, but then it gets to the playoffs because you still have a Cincinnati Bengals team that is top tier. You have a Kansas City Chiefs team that is the best in the NFL in the AFC, of course, until they're not. That's right in the path of the Buffalo Bills. All right. Up next, the New York Giants. They were 9-7-1 and last season, third in the NFC East. They beat Minnesota in the wild card round, so they had one playoff win. So, Joe, uh or duh, the New York Giants? Duh sending. I know it's going to make a lot of people behind the scenes in Bristol very upset. Here's the thing. The Giants did too much last year. They overachieved by a mile and a half. And as a result, now all Giants fans think we're living in, what, 2010, and they're about to go compete for another Super Bowl. They're not there yet. I like Brian Dable. I love what they're doing with this organization. It's moving in the right direction. But they won more games than people expected last year, so now hopes are too high. 
eight, four, and one in one score games last year. That is a big red flag that regression is coming on that horizon. At the same time, I think it's like, what, four of the first six games are on the road, seven of the first 11 are on the road. Very difficult to navigate. Bye week isn't until week 13 or 14, which is late in the season. You want your rest and your bye week coming somewhere around week eight or week nine. So I would say this, short term, meaning this season, duh, sending for the New York Giants, but big picture over the next five years, ascending. I want to say ascending because I like what they did this offseason. They got Saquon Barkley into camp somehow, some way. It's amazing how if you give somebody $2 million of their salary up front, things can happen. I love the Darren Waller trade, but I'm just not convinced that this team wasn't more than just a flash in the pan last year. I think that the back end of the season where Daniel Jones was much less effective certainly plays into some of my trepidation about the Giants this year and have they really solved the, all of the concerns they have at the wide receiver position yeah they got Jalen Hyatt in the third round but he's still behind Isaiah Hodgins on the depth chart I'm not so sure that those issues have been fixed I do think that offensively they will be more versatile than they were last year, but you're also in one of the hardest divisions where you have the Cowboys and, of course, runner-up in the Super Bowl, Philadelphia. It's going to make their job a lot more difficult to go 9-7-1 and and get into the playoffs. That's probably not going to happen this year. All right, up next, the Atlanta Falcons. They were 7-10 and last year, last in the NFC South, missed the playoffs. Joe, ascending or descending? I'm going to go ascending because of the schedule, the offensive line, the weapons, the coach, and the defense, but I'm not going to get as aggressive as so many other people are with this team this year. There's a world of potential in Atlanta, but I think Desmond Ritter is going to be a big problem. I like Desmond Ritter. I liked him at Cincinnati. Good locker room guy. Great leader. He doesn't have the NFL arm to make all the throws, and eventually that's going to become very evident. They are going to build an offense that leans heavily on first-round pick Bijan Robinson, who's going to be spectacular this year. And, Courtney, they have plenty else to be excited about for how they can win games. I like what the defense did. They got better. But ultimately, Ritter is going to prove to not be the guy, and that's what's going to hurt them. So they will ascend a little bit this year based on what we saw last season, but not enough to make any real serious noise. They're going to ascend because they almost won the division last year. And I know that 7-10, and 10, that record that James just pointed out, It's like, you almost won the division with that. It's the NFC South. It's wide open. Carolina could win it. The New Orleans Saints could win it. And this is a team that has gone worst to first one other time. The only other team that's done it in the last 20 years, 2003 to 2004. They go from 5-11 to 11-5. And and I think that of any skill group in the NFC South, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, B. John Robinson, they've got the best of the bunch. They are my pick to win the NFC South, and they will ascend, ascend all the way into first place in that division. I think we stumbled into a new segment around these parts, uh or duh, and you can apply it to anything, not just teams. It can be players. You could do it every Monday coming off what we saw happen that weekend with overreactions. I'm gonna, I think I might keep that. So No, there will be no stealing of that. That's intellectual property. Do, do, we, do we share it? Can we, we're, can the Col- we- <laughs> we're the Colts looking for one of the Dolphins superstar receivers in return for Jonathan Taylor. We'll talk about that next. Joe and Amber, ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber, the podcast.